iPhone tried to correct B stars to besties. Oh, that's so cute. So that was fun. What's up, besties? I can't remember if that's like whose tagline that is. If that's like of a now problematic YouTuber or whatnot. Mm. I'm pretty sure Brittany Broski says it all the time. Okay. She's good. Right. I think I think problematic people say things and non-problematic people also say the same things. So like take your pick. Mm. It's like I saw this really poignant post like several months ago that was like, like you're going to encounter problematic media that you're going to enjoy. That's just how things are. So boycott or like ignore all you want. But like there's always going to be like a problematic something with something. Yeah, that's just the nature of humanity. It really is. And it's like you might not realize it when you first consume that media. And then, like, several years down the road, like, all of a sudden it's problematic because a thing exists that didn't really or wasn't really talked about. It's not that it didn't exist, but, it, you know, it's now highlighted and, and spoken about in a different way. Right. Probably like Rain Man, like earlier. Okay. Okay. I was like, I actually I'm am the literally... one that made the rain start. And you're like, yeah, like, you're the man with the rain. No, I was like, yeah, like in the movie. But yeah. it was a joke because yeah. I know that's not what the movie's about. <laughs> But I've never actually seen the movie, but I do know, like, the gist of it. Yeah. And I, I have seen the movie, and I feel like it genuinely probably would have been a better movie. If had it was it about, just been about him. Dustin Hoffman just causing rain. Yes. By being really good at math. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was his whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um. Anyway, welcome back to Otaku. podcast episode being recorded august 1st yeah because <laughs> i'm a lazy piece of shit <laughs> well i mean it's like in like not really because it's like us you in know summer what? Got July. two episodes in may so you know yeah you're welcome yeah you're welcome but you know what we didn't talk about earlier this year was an anime that debuted um and everyone started talking about it i feel like was it last? It was last year, like early last year, like almost <clears throat> right around the height of the P word. Uh, <laughs> which which one? There's so many. The panorama. Oh, okay. <laughs> I literally forgot about that P word for a split second. Oh, you blessed child. Yeah. Wow. Um, Must be nice. Yeah. And it's funny because for me, I'd, I've actually, this is one of the few mangas that i have read significantly ahead even to the extent that i'm still significantly ahead uh from season two of it right and i haven't read it in months yeah but But um, we never talked about it on our podcast um probably because we were doing jojo last year like exclusively almost and then just started venturing into other stuff like Late last year, early this year. God, it's been yeah. a year and a, a year. half over since this fucking thing started. Um, yeah, but it's funny for, for me. And, and by the way, we're talking about B-Stars. because <laughs> Yeah, not the P word. No. Um, I, I started reading this right around the same time that people were sti- kind of like dying down from Zootopia fever. Um, and so everyone was like making the comparisons of yo this is like 
Zootopia if it was like hardcore edgy shit. And yeah, if it like, wasn't like Disney. Yeah, and then I was if, like, like DreamWorks did it instead. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, it'd be like the Cars two of. <laughs> Could you not? <laughs> of of anthropomorphic media. Um. Yeah, but I don't know. So that was kind of like the first four into that, and I was like, oh wow, this shit slaps. And then, you know, it took ages, but eventually we got an anime, and it's a very typically for me not my favorite style because of the CGI um, centric animation. But See, to me, the CGI works just fine in this. I yeah, I have a very high threshold when it comes to um, CGI in general. Like any use for it, I'm just kind of like. Which unlike I think I just think this is so fucking funny. Like thinking back to our discussions about like blue sub six. Yeah, I was gonna say like I, maybe I don't have any place to speak, but I honestly don't remember it being that bad because the last time I saw it was, you know, it's been a while in the nineties. Yeah, it's been a hot minute. Back in the nineties. Um. So I never read the manga B stars. I'm really bad about reading manga in general. But um, season one kind of packed a punch. I'm not going to lie, like, because <laughs> of certain conditions I have. I don't remember a lot of season one. I remember the gist of it. And I remember um, Lagosi being obsessed with, uh, do we want to call her Hal or Haru? It's Haru. Haru? Okay. So Lagosi being obsessed with Haru and then the whole Louie thing as well and then me being like oh they're from Jojo and they're from Jojo and they're from Jojo like with every media everybody's from fucking Jojo everybody's from fucking Jojo and um yeah how intense that was and then so season two doesn't really hold back at all um the things that really stood out to me were like the queer coding or like that subtext of like yeah. queerness in general and how it ties into like villain portrayal in pop culture and media in general. Um, it's started to fade off a little bit, but this being obviously like originating in Japan and them not being extremely LGBTQIA friendly, like as a, as a society, like governmentally and fundamentally, um, it was just very interesting with the whole what's his name Riz like the big bear. Yes. And Tem. Yeah, Riz. Riz and so, Tem. Riz and Tem. So from season one, we know that a student got eaten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got uh, predated upon. Yeah. Devoured. And so the whole, um, well, not the whole arc of season two, but like a big part of it is Lagosi like trying to figure out who who done it. Yeah, it's like Detective Lagosi. And then it it kind of starts out like a also like a ghost story kind of thing because other students are like going to go like i dare you to go into the classroom where tem was devoured and like all of a sudden there's like all these eyes like staring at them and turns out it's just snake ball yeah it's just well (laughs) it's literally the voice actor from everyone's favorite slightly perverted older uh wandering snake senin from naruto odichimaru is also playing a giant fucking giant snake snake who's the only security guard at the school right yes the nobody... sure she says she she says she's the only security guard at the school yes so props to this voice actor i can't remember their name off the top of my head but props to them for playing both um Masculine male and feminine yeah, yeah 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 
I guess Orichimaru does kind of present feminine again with the queer coding and the feminization of villains and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Orichimaru is a very complex character, though, and you are not even near <laughs> the apex of that. I know. I'm. I know. I'm not. Yeah. It, um, yeah. But. It, it was interesting and i'm like wow this is like a one-to-one like he probably yeah. was like hell yeah i'll, I'll voice <laughs> i won't change a single thing about it because <laughs> right, the voice is exactly the same um but the whole okay so so tim is devoured by one of his classmates and the classmate remembers it a certain way and that's the only way we see it being portrayed is because obviously like tim is dead so we can't get tim's side of the story yeah. or how it happened for tim and so this this predator is trying to be friends with non-predators and he goes off on this rant of like what it means to be close to someone and like literally like devouring someone eating them making them a part of yourself is like the ultimate intimacy for this character and he has this whole mentality of being born a certain way like dictates um your entire life or like your nature versus nurture kind of situation and that's brought up a couple of like conversations with us in the car like how is this gonna bode for like the future like because obviously this dude's kind of off his fucking hinges here thinking that like this is the only way to be close to someone less than right and there's a lot of subtext about like what it means to be friends and what it means to be close friends and all this other stuff that is never like really clarified in the anime or really expounded upon it's just kind of like given to the viewer and like left in your lap for you to decide like what the fuck is going on between them right because i feel like from riz's perspective he legitimately believes these things that he's he eventually you know can you know confides in one of the other characters right and he's like the he's the antithesis of lugosi lugosi knows he's a predator but he knows that he can not be like that to the prey genre of the other i don't want to call them people but the other beings that he exists with constantly like and so lugosi like takes it upon himself to be like i need to be able to protect these innocent beings which is an interesting concept in and of itself because it implies that just because they exhibit certain characteristics and traits that they're all helpless and weak helpless weak and innocent and i don't think that necessarily is how lugosi views them i think he just is like i can help because i am stronger I mean, even Louis says several times, like, you're going to fucking kill me if you keep hugging me. Like, Lynn yeah. Louis' internal monologue about how much stronger Lugosi is than he is, even though, spoiler alert, he's the head of a mob. Yeah. Like, all I of mean, a sudden. That was very obviously intentional as well to be a direct contrast to Lugosi's whole, like, developmental arc of, right. you know, him. Him trying to save Louis and him trying to be this great protector for the weak and meek. And and all of a sudden you have the weak and the meek, quote unquote, in charge of this criminal syndicate of <laughs> all lions. Yep. <laughs> so 
yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a fascinating show, and it's very interesting to me because it did not end season two anywhere near as far as I did think we were gonna get. But it also didn't feel like it was dragging at all. Which correct? Is, yeah, there was always some shit going on. Yeah. And I think I'm very curious to see like where the character of Pina is going because like mm, yeah. the fuck was he about? He's like, horny. <laughs> He's very horny. No, obviously. All the time. I know, but like him like goading Riz mm. and just kind of having like this like I don't give a fuck attitude, like go ahead and fucking eat me is yeah. is really kind of bizarre. And I don't know if it's, like, outlash from, like, being a friend of Thames or, like, knowing Riz's secret well before anyone else does. And so I'm looking forward to, like, seeing what kind of role Pina plays later. But also, we have to talk about how season two ended, and that was with Riz and Lugosi finally, like, meeting up to to duel, basically. (laughs) Yeah. And Riz kind of goads Lugosi into thinking he ate Pina and all this other stuff. And Lugosi's like, nah, fam. Like, I've been trapped in a room smelling meats all night for, like, months now. And I know that Pina's, like, two miles away by a dumpster. But then Louie shows up. So huge spoilers for the rest of, like, if you haven't finished Beastar Season 2, just skip ahead. I don't know how long, but just skip ahead a couple minutes. Um, Louie shows up and tries to stop them. But... Well, no, he doesn't actually try to stop them. Lugosi stops because he doesn't want Louis to get hurt. And then Louis's all like, fucking eat me. Like, actually, not like get yeah. lost or eat my shorts, kind of eat me. Eat, eat my leg. Eat my leg. Like, from the knee down. Please consume my limb. Yes. To give you that, like, predatory ultra power, whatever, like... That you need to beat this yeah. other guy. So it's 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 fascinating to me because you haven't even seen like you've seen glimpses and it you're, it's like presented in such a way that it almost comes across like is this actually happening like with the little flashes of energy that like have surged through his body at a couple points in the series so far. Um, but like, we're not talking about the manga, so no. I'm just saying like the the concept of B Star in a show called B Star has thus far been barely even explored correct and expounded upon and i just think that that's interesting because of how it's going to um develop with certain things going forward i love how you inadvertently spoil things i i was (laughs) so vague just now how Mm -hmm. did i spoil anything but do you know me have you met me anyway so (sighs) the whole lugosi eating louis um debacle goes back again to riz um, Riz's recounting of, of devouring Tem and, it, and him being like now we're one and the same we're the closest friends you could ever possibly get to and that was the whole thing with Lugosi Lugosi looks up to Louis it's like his senpai and like someone Lugosi's always admired and he outright admits that to Louis and then Louis's like yeah if you feel that so strongly about me like fucking eat me and so it was just like this, it, you know, you see like, okay, Riz eating someone bad, bad Riz, don't do that. You ate your classmate and then like you're seeing Lugosi eat Louie, like, I don't think you should be doing that, but I also don't want you to die. Yeah. So it's like this really confusing gray area. And I think it's remarkable that Lugosi is also portrayed as a gray wolf. Because he's he's not morally gray, I don't think. I think he th- I think he has like his morals, mm-hmm. 
but just because he's a predator again going back to the whole nature versus nurture thing i think there's like this whole aspect of him that is very much a predator and and i think that kind of clouds his morals a little bit sometimes because those instincts want to come out yeah but i feel so this it's an interesting show and uh media in general because it is obviously shown in in a lot of the aspects of how it carries itself and from that perspective the growth character arc of Lagoshi is like it's more of an internal thing than most shonen protagonists would experience like you know he's not like a Goku where he's mastering some like he's not mastering Kaioken and it's uh, like a, a six month arc where he has to train under a hundred times gravity or some crap like that um, it's him literally essentially undergoing hours and hours and hours of meditation and like you know focusing on himself internally to become stronger through his will and force so um i don't know it's just a really interesting show and like you're talking about there's just so many dynamics that are explored and i'm excited to see where it's going from here yeah well you already kind of know where it's going from here because yeah i mean they've made some subtle changes from the manga to the anime though so i'm sure it had to do with like what would work best for the animation in general but yeah um anyway so that's the end of Star season two and so we're left with that whole thing and where do we go from here and so now uh let's talk more about food wars i don't think we've talked about food wars in actually like a couple months yeah it has been a while so i don't remember like what the last thing we talked about food wars was but we did finish season four over the course of the past month Mm. um season three i thought that was season three we finished seasons three and four oh god that's right this is season five yes Season four was only 12 episodes. That's true. Yeah, that was pretty brief. So um, probably because of the whole photogenic <laughs> era. Um, so the the bulk of season four is that, you know, it's the usual shit except the stakes <laughs> are higher. The stakes have never been this high. <laughs> Get They're it? primo. Get They're it? wagyu. Yeah, exactly. These wagyu beefs have never been so high. Right. So um, they're in the midst of trying not to make this culinary school even more elitist than it already is. Because Erina's dad comes in and is all like, no, food needs to be for rich, wealthy, uppity, snotty people only. Fuck the rest of the population. You can starve. Like he's like, how dare you eat an egg in front of me? He's like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and shut down every restaurant in Japan, starting in Japan. um, That is not a basically Michelin star rated. I don't. Yeah, but that's never even mentioned. Like, I'm pretty sure he just wanted to shut stuff down that didn't adhere to his standards, which are well above Michelin star, I feel. Yeah, that's true. But it's like, okay, so has anyone considered the fallout of this in the, the entirety of civilization? in japan will collapse no and he doesn't care right it's, it's just very obvious that he only cares about one thing and that's saiba that <laughs> like, was yeah i know he horny for saiba that's the only thing he cares about is the fact that saiba like left culinary school right what was that i don't know ice maker hopefully the ice maker hopefully the ice hopefully maker that was the ice maker so so saiba i'm pretty sure dropped out of culinary school and went off to do his own thing and then he ended up opening a diner blah 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 
mm-hmm. season one hello yeah. yeah we've been there done that yeah and so now this guy comes in and he's all like can't <clears throat> stand the idea that such a, a wonderful culinary expert like went off and opened a fucking family diner and serves to the peasants well yeah he's like he's like i can never beat you and i am the best of the best with the exception of you so god forbid you should be able to go off and cook what you actually want to cook right how dare you have fun doing this how dare you go off and not be a good father for like a decade plus (laughs) amongst other things i don't give a fuck about that yeah he's just like how dare you like be so good at your job and make this amazing food and then like open a fucking shop. I just think it's funny that it, his character arc introduction is that he was kicked out of the fucking family for being such a huge shitlord, basically. Yep. <laughs> and now everyone he's like, he's like, but I'm back. And they're all like, could you not? And he's like, but I am. But and they're am like, back. oh, okay, I guess. Yeah, I know. I'm like, that's the one thing I'm just like, ah, I feel like you could have still just told him the fuck off. You right? could have literally had him arrested. Or like, that. You could yeah. have for trespassing, like anything really. Right. Like. <laughs> Anime logic. Using just... a false name because apparently he had to give up like the, the Nakiri name. But then he comes in and he's all like, I'm Nakiri. And they're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so he takes over Totsuki and tries to like upend everything and like recruits the Elite Ten to do his bidding. And so this like season four picks up where like, you know, the the rebels like Yukihira and Megumi and everyone else, the Aldini brothers and um not yep. Rohan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Naked the, Rohan. Yeah, the cast of all the characters that were either The Polar allies, Star Dormitory and yeah. like their Either friends. allies or an- former antagonists that are now... Or anyone who defected from the Elite Ten, like yes. Koichi. Yes, Koichi. Right. Because <laughs> everything, everything is it's not Koichi. Everything is in terms of JoJo. Um, so, yeah. So they're all like up against the Elite Ten in like this cook-off to uh, like Shokugeki to not get expelled from the school and if the rebels win then everything goes back to the way it was and like there's none of this fucking elitism ultra elitism bullshit i did like by the way how like two-thirds of the season took place on the snowpiercer train i thought that was a nice touch that was season three (sighs) what really yep i thought that was uh wait you're right yeah Mm -hmm. man i suck it's okay um uh, we didn't really take a break between ending season three and starting season four so it does all kind of blur together yeah. but season four is like they're up in yes they're up near wakanai <laughs> right yeah. and they're competing um so we're introduced to some other like side characters the wgo the judges for the thing and then um azami comes in he's like i'm gonna be fucking judging this now and everyone's like hello Right, that seems really unethical and <laughs> right, yeah. not the best thing to do. But it's great that he does eventually because his gift apparently is blowing everyone's clothes off. And so that's how they deem that he really did like oh my God, his yeah. his own daughter's dish more than the Elite Ten is because all of a sudden everyone's naked. It's like, oh, it's like, because that's been the euphemistic thing throughout the entire series is the, the visual of, oh my God, this food experience is so good that they're, they're getting blown out of their clothes. But then 
like plot Psych. twist. It's it's actually literally a thing it's, it's that's happening. happening, and everyone's freaking out about it. And then yeah, and not Rohan is still naked, and he's just like ha 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 ha. Right, and he's like, this is my default. This is form. the best. This is the best way to be. Yeah. Um, which is really funny. So yeah, so that happens, and I don't know. Like the main thing that I'm taking away from Food Wars is like cooking is fun, cooking is for everyone, and cooking is so easy. But like. Do you remember in like seasons one and two, they were going into like all of these like very um, chemistry oriented like explanations of like why things work together? Yes. So they started, they kept doing that rather. And, but now with like some of the stuff in season five, like you and I are both sitting there like, mm, I don't think that's how that works. Yeah. I mean, most of it is still like, all right, I'll, I'll bite. But there's been a few things that have just been completely like that. Uh, I know just enough to know that I'd, that wouldn't actually uh, yeah, work. That's not, that's not how that works. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's some element of like, I think it was a pork cutlet in the oil, like putting it in cold oil and yes. then heating up the oil. Yeah. I'm just like, oh God, like I, I want to poop myself thinking about the grease bomb that that yeah, would be. He's like, he's like, I'll do this to make it less oily. And we're both looking at each other like that's mm. literally going to come out just a soggy mess. How, yeah. How does that, unless you're like fryer or your oil can heat up like very quickly. Right. Like Which, okay, dangerously maybe. quickly. <laughs> yeah. How to start a grease fire by Shokugeki no Soma. Like I set off a bomb and there was grease yeah. in the middle. So Yeah, exactly. Everyone was horrifically burned along with it, but at least I got that pork color that cooked good. <laughs> at least I got that pork color that cooked good. That so pork color, though. Yeah, we're like a um, few episodes deep into season five, and I'm kind of interested to see where this goes. I think there's supposed to be a season six. I'm not positive. I mean, at this point, why not? Why not? Because they're... Are they in their second to last or final year? They are second years okay, now, so I'm we're, pretty sure. So we could be like... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're only second year. So we could have like another friggin' four up, four seasons of this crap. No. Why not? Because high school in Japan works differently. <sighs> Is it only three years? Yeah. Okay, never mind. <laughs> then only another two seasons. Sure. Um. Yeah, and a lot of the older... Uh, elite 10 members you know graduated and went on their separate ways and blah 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 so um yeah even if we don't get like a full season after this um depending on how season five ends like i would kind of just want to like where are they now kind yeah. of like <laughs> that could be like an ova thing mm-hmm. that could be kind of fun yeah so any other thoughts on the food wars the wars of food um, I don't know. It's it's such a like if for for any of you, I mean, I hope that you haven't been listening to a spoil the entire thing if you haven't watched it, but um it's just such a unique experience in a way that I wasn't expecting going into the show in the first place. It makes a lot of like it, like adult oriented anime lists because there's like, you know, hinted nudity and shit like that, yeah. but Honestly, like, I think if I was watching this at the age of, like, 17 or 18 or 16 or 17, I, I would just be like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, the same the same reaction I had, like, watching it now. I'm like, yeah. this is fucking ridiculous. Like, why are their clothes just, like, gone? <laughs> right. Because it's like, always... Why it's... is she covered in little tiny Soma-headed chickens? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. what's happening? <laughs> like, all these instances of that... Um, it's it's are, preposterous. Yeah, they're they're presented in preposterous ways. That it's ridiculous. It's there's even like little scenes where like a couple of the judges are like little fairies or something like tending to a garden like in their little yeah. like oh this is so delicious kind of like daydream whatever. 
it's ridiculous. Like there is some great stuff, uh, some real inspiration if you're culinary inclined. Yeah. I am not. Yeah, I try to take a little bit away every once in a while. I'm like, okay, that's crazy, right. but maybe. You know, yeah, there's definitely some inspiration there if you're if you are inclined to to stand in front of a hot oven or mm. stove, which I'm not. So I do that. You do that. <laughs> I, I do that. that. <laughs> um. So yeah, good on food wars. Yeah, for the moment, I don't think I really have anything else for that. All right, so let's let's hop on over let's to <laughs> JoJo for the first time in like almost. Let's all let's all hop, year. hop on that golden shower experience. Yeah, for the second time, that electric golden piss experience, electric pissaloo. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah, so we uh, rewatched it. You know, as you do, as you do, with anime. It had been like about a year since we watched it last time, mm-hmm. and it really sucks that we couldn't get. Um, Ortiz back on here to kind of help us do this but yeah. you know this weekend's been kind of a poop show um shit's been really busy and just need to go ahead and get us out of the way so um part five of jojo um gold golden wind as it's officially known yes um wow where to start so I'm not going to go over the premise of this because I'm assuming if you watch anime and you've listened to this podcast at all, you probably have already seen part five. So I'm not going to do like a rehash of it. But I saw a tweet this morning that made me think a bunch. Oh, yeah. And it was basically that Giorno is the only member of Bruno's little segment of Passione that didn't need it. Whereas everyone else needed it. Wow. So I'm gonna let you mull that over real quick, but like so instantly. Where did he get it? What? Where did he get it prior to? What are you talking about? Hmm. <laughs> I <laughs> guess I guess I completely didn't get what you were just uh, referencing. Giorno is the only member of Polpo's segment of Passione. Mm-hmm. The gang. Yes. The mafia. Yes. That didn't need it. Didn't need the mafia. Oh, I thought you were talking about how he got his abilities. No. Oh. He didn't need to join Passione. He just did. Okay. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought of that. Right. Neither <laughs> had I. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, he he joined it for an obvious reason. Yes, but, but he did not need to join the mafia to yeah, begin with. True. Now that I'm thinking about it, his hmm, I'm kind of like patchy it, on what his like life before that is. Even it was Dio. Cono <laughs> Dio da. Yeah, it was him. Like his him and his mom and his stepdad, who beat him. Yes. That's right. Right? Yeah. Pulled a real Dario. Hmm. And um, then his dad was, I think, killed by gang members. His stepdad. Right. I mean, Dio was technically killed by gang members also, but, (laughs) you know, let's not go there. Um, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. That Stardust gang. Yeah. So Giorno joins Passione, even though he doesn't need it. I should have been more specific. He didn't need it to save himself, but 
everyone else who joined under Bruno needed Passione in order to save themselves. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought of that. I haven't like I have not in any shape or form nearly dissected uh, most any of JoJo as much as you have. Well, so I am a firm member of the queer community. And so I think a lot of this stuff either jumps out at me more or I'm more likely to read into things that maybe aren't there um, or both. Definitely both. But for part five, so part five is really interesting to me because of the Abakio Bucciarati dynamic for one. Abakio is, is like one of the first members we're really introduced to. Like we're given his backstory first. Yeah. And it shows how Bruno like literally saves him from himself. And Abakio has this sense of needing to protect Bruno. And even though like his stand is not like a like a combat stand at all. But, yeah, he, I mean, but he is the strongest, punches. like canonically, he is the he's physically the strongest um, and best fighter in the entire segment. Hmm. So he feels this sense of loyalty to Bruno. And he even says like he was lost before Bruno found him and he never felt at home hmm. unless he was with Bruno, which like <laughs> my heart, my heart. Connor, stop listening because I know you fucker haven't. I know you haven't finished part five, and we're about to spoil the entire series for you again. Um, then we're gonna be talking about Record of Ragnarok after this, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, figure it out, man. Figure your shit out. <laughs> just fast forward until you hear us just talk about boobas. watch it until you hear us say boobas a lot. <laughs> yeah, or just or just fucking watch the rest of part five. I don't know. Yeah, or do that. Figure um, it out. So. So in Venice, Leona's like, obviously, I'm going with you, Bruno, because I've never felt at home until I met you. And ugh. And, and this whole thing with, with Bruno being dead. Yeah. Pretty much thing. the whole time. Yeah. Almost the entire season, right? Bruno's like dead. Yes. Ish. Uh, it's more than half of the season. Yeah. So... So they make repeated observations about how um, Bruno's not eating. Like, it's shown in mm-hmm. Venice afterwards. Like, Bruno doesn't eat anything while everyone's, like, Naranja's eating his soup and getting bit by sharks. And <laughs> and they're beating up some fucker <laughs> for yeah. no fucking reason. And that was the wrong place, wrong time. Wrong place, wrong time. Don't fuck with the wrong, mafia. Wrong bunch of boys. And, um... And so everyone's eating except for Bruno. And then uh, they also make a comment about how Bruno like hurts himself and doesn't bleed and all this other stuff. Right. So when they get to Sardinia um, to finally track down like their their last lead on who the boss actually is. Um, when when King Crimson kills Leone. Bruno is the only one who isn't looking at him as he's laying there. Hmm. He He's turned away. He refuses to look at his body. And he bites his lip so hard that he immediately starts bleeding. Yeah, I remember that. 
And it's not until Giorno sees the um, thing in Leona's hand. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it leads them to the death mask. Uh, yes, that's right. It's not until then that Bruno turns around and even faces Leona's body. And I know I'm heavily influenced by the Jojo community in general and shippers and all this other stuff with the whole Buraba thing. But like, honestly, even if Iraqi was like, no, they're just really good friends. Like, fine. But they were obviously so close and, and cared about each other and loved each other, perhaps platonically, so much that it it made Bruno so heartbroken that he couldn't even look at him and it's just like ugh. and and you know what i don't care you ask any person who doesn't identify as like cis or het <laughs> cis and or het that watches jojo and they're gonna be like nah <laughs> they love each other like way more than friends mm. granted like if honestly like if one of my best friends got killed somewhere near me like would i fucking look at their body like probably not like i definitely wouldn't want to but there's so much going on that we don't know about i mean vento Arreo takes the place of eight days it's literally a week and a day from mm. start to finish we don't get a lot about these guys i didn't realize it was over that short of a period of time yeah hmm but anyway, so moving on from that, let's talk about the souls and stands messy bullshit that Iraqi threw at us. In what way? In the Requiem way. Oh, yes. That was more, conf- like, for me, I feel like even more confusing the second time watching it because I had just enough awareness of what was going on to have more questions about it. Yeah, so we both surmised also during our rewatch that maybe he intended to actually do a reset right then and there. Yeah, and I hadn't thought of that until we were talking about it. Yeah, so in the end of part five, um, Jean-Pierre Polnareff, um chariot gets stabbed or takes the arrow or something, and the stand goes berserk. Yeah. And... I can't remember personally if he was a natural stand user or if it was given to him by the arrow in the first place. And I'm leaning towards it was given to him because he's yeah. not a relation to a Joe star. He's not related to Dio and he was one of Dio's minions. So in yeah, Yaba, I'm pretty sure he got arrowed. Yeah. So in Yaba found him probably wandering fucking Egypt like an asshole and and gave him a stand via the arrows and so when the arrow made contact with the stand again it caused it to go berserk and put everyone in Rome to sleep and swapped their souls and their bodies with the yeah, next closest living thing really bizarre weird it was Honestly, like one of the weirdest things I think Iraqi's ever done besides like snail weather. Hmm. But we <laughs> we'll won't talk there. about that. We'll get there eventually. We'll get there soon. Next week, Stone Ocean announcement. Oh yeah, shit. Um, so so this whole messy bullshit. So stands canonically are the manifestation of your soul. 
Yes. Whether it's a naturally occurring thing or whether the ability is given to you. So does that mean that the arrow then corrupted Polnareff's soul that much that he could then inhabit the turtle? I don't know. Because that whole thing is still very, very confusing to me. Because he said, so he was dead, as in his actual body was dead, as yes. in Polnareff's body was dead. The turtle had its soul removed, right? Yeah. Supposedly went into Polnareff's body. Which was dead. And because of, but that was as a result of Requiem doing its thing. Yes. Chariot Requiem doing its thing. So by order of operations, it would have already been too late at that point if. Uh, well, okay. So, but also the other thing is that Bruno swapped with Diavolo. Yes. But. Or did he switch with Dapio? Dapio went into Bruno's body and died because Bruno's body was dead. Yes, that's right. But Dapio wasn't fatally injured or wounded in any way. His soul just got trapped in a dying body and went, whoops, guess I'm dead now. Yeah. It kind of sucked. <sighs> the whole Dapio thing kind of sucked, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. And so then... Yeah, so, oh, God, this is so confusing to just even talk about. And we literally just watched this, like, last I week. I should have written, like, a, a damn <laughs> flow chart or something. Um, so, so anyway, so there's a whole, all this body swapping going on. Trish and Mista swap bodies. Narancha and Giorno. And that was the other thing. Narancha and Giorno swap bodies. But then Giorno's body gets fucking staked. Yeah. And he dies. But... Narancha's soul comes out of Giorno's body and Giorno's soul is able to go back into his body. Yeah, there was... And he's a, able to heal himself because of gold experience. Yeah, the things got a little creative at points, I'll say. It was a hot fucking mess. It was a hot fucking garbage mess. So I'm just... I'm really convinced that Araki was done with this particular storyline and this maybe like delineation of characters from Jonathan and Dio and wanted to do something new and the publishers were just like nah because yeah. of how messy this got and, yeah and it's probably really hard to fight against but um it, I mean this was his fifth series he'd been doing this for so long that thankfully I think he had enough uh pull and maybe enough sway that they were like all right fine like you have you have a plan you have a plan we'll just let you do your thing and I, yeah i don't know it this <laughs> it gets so confusing because um so mista and trish swapped bodies and trish trish's body could utilize the sex pistols which was mista's stand because mista's soul was in her body and Trish inside Mista's body still utilized Spice Girl because her soul was the one utilizing it. But if if the arrow corrupted Chariot that much to where Polnareff couldn't um, mm -hmm. control it anymore, then then it had to have done something to his soul as well. I'm just right, it's like I'm a... going off of just pure speculation here. 
Well, no, I mean, what you're saying makes perfect sense. It's like if if the stand itself is a physical manifest, well, even like quasi-physical manifestation of your soul, which they go out of their way to say that normal people who aren't stand users, users can see and interact even physically with chariot. Um, like what the hell does that mean? They couldn't. Yeah, no, they they were like, yeah, like normal people could have like touched that was why remember that was why the turtle with polar not soul but soul in it like he can grab the arrow without the thing immediately because chariot was destroyed at that point when when coco jumbo was able to grab the arrow is because chariot was destroyed by that point hmm. yeah so again, if Chariot is the manifestation of Polnareff's F's soul, how is the stand destroyed? Ugh. Anyway, I yeah, because whatever I'm, happens I'm to your stand, I'm remembering a bunch of stuff. I guess I don't know. Whatever happens to your stand is supposed to happen to you as well. Like any damage that gets inflicted from it, any any damage of any kind, any poison, any physical damage, whatever is supposed to come back onto the user. Well, remember that's only certain types of stands. Not all of them. Oh. So even like, cause yeah, there's like other stands in other parts that, like you know, like part four, the remote stands didn't always immediately or ever like go back to the user if they were destroyed or like that version of it was destroyed. So <laughs> I don't know. I think I think there might be a little bit of Iraqi just fitting some convenience to f- allow the storyline to continue every once in a while, and it, that happens. So maybe it literally is just like that. Uh, Maybe there's only so much logic. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I get it. We're talking about like actual fucking like ghosts that go order. (laughs) Right. But like, so anyway. Punchy ghosts. Um, But what I found really interesting was that um, gold experience got requiemed. But I think because gold experience was a natural stand, Mm -hmm. obviously, because Dorno's Dio's kid and Dio is Jonathan's body. So, Jorno's technically Jonathan's kid. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to go into that Fuck. again. Um, it, yeah. So, I think because the gold experience was a natural stand and Jorno was a natural born stand user, that the stand did not go berserk because it had never come in contact with the arrow before. Yeah, I mean, that that does make sense. I just, um, I don't know. I don't know what else. That That's the only sensible thing, like the only major difference that I could think of. Yeah. Like nothing else, really, to make, to make it be like, this, this person's stand is perfectly fine to be requiemed, and this person's stand is going to go fucking bonkers. And yeah. I mean, that's the main the difference between them. It's either given to you or it's you're born with it. Like inherited. Maybe <laughs> it's Maybelline. Maybe it's Maybelline. Yeah. Maybe it's Damn Dio. It. Maybe it's maybe it's Dio. Uh, all right. So let's move on. Unless you have anything else. Uh-uh. All right. Let's move on to Record of Ragnarok, which honestly was kind of a fucking banger for me. Hey, Connor. Hey, Connor. Hey, Connor. Hey, Connor. Hey, Connor. Boobas. 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 Big old mammy milkers. Mammy milkers. 
big old goddess milker, milky milks. Yeah, milky boobas. milks. <laughs> the man boobas and the lady boobas. Yeah, all the boobas, boobas, all the boobas all the time, man. All right, anyway. Um, so, yeah, this was a banger for me, not just because of the boobas. Those um, nice, but... That, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I personally would not want to have memories large enough that I would need uh, statuesque beings to hold them up. Yeah. Like, you know, a normal when a normal bra just doesn't do it, and you need to have full-time servants to To be fair, Aphrodite was not wearing a bra because bras did not exist in ancient Greece. Okay. She would have had to have some, well, I mean, they are gods. So I guess if she really wanted to, she could have had a bra that would have worked. But I'm sure she prefers having her non-gender servants. Yeah, why wouldn't you? You're sitting there. You want to be comfortable. Just have these little puppies just a, just a wee bit. They're probably happy to do it, too. Um. So this was, I don't know. When he first, when Connor first suggested this, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. He was like, Thor, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, guys, it's not 2012 anymore. Like, let's move on. Um, but I really did actually enjoy the interpretation of um, the prose Edda for Thor's particular backstory, and I'm interested to see what they do with Loki. Um, and I'm also interested to see what other fighters there are going to be because the fighters so far have been super fascinating. And I hope that all the like the human fighters are actually steeped in um, honest to goodness, like actual life folklore. And even if they're not, like it was so well written, I'm convinced they are. Yeah, I mean, you were definitely uh, happily surprised um, with the world building and the references to actual mythology so far. I do wish um, that they had spent a little more time um with background stuff and not as much with the fucking announcer i know heimdall is uh, heimdall is heimdall but like they i feel like they made him such a corny ass character that i i don't i wish he would get stomped maybe he will maybe he will i mean zeus almost gets stomped like Zeus gets does get stomped. Zeus like got his almost. ass shit handed to him. <laughs> the ass from his the shit from his ass handed to him. I do think it's very intriguing the fighters that they like the the human fighters that they've chosen so far. I'm very eager to see um, what happens in the next season because I think where we left off they just picked like Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Yep. Like yeah. how in the fuck is he going to be a champion for humankind? Right, I'm really wondering how they're going to angle that. Because yeah. I don't think that, like, serial rape slash murderer uh, is going to go and translate very well. Right, and I also really want to see more of the Valkyrie. Um, I think their whole shtick is really fucking cool. And I really want more of them. But obviously, at the end of season one, we have lost a couple and yeah. I'm I'm very, ugh, I just I want more of them because yeah. there's such a wide range. There's Valkyrie of all different shapes and sizes, obviously, and different temperaments. <laughs> yeah, well, it was interesting concept to have them literally, basically imbue a normal weapon with their godhood, essentially. Well, they're not then... gods. That's why they're not fighting on behalf of the gods. 
All right, then I'm. What are they then? Um, I can't. I don't want to. I'm tired, and I don't want to say the wrong thing. But they're just like. I mean, they're like demigods, kind of, right? Kind of, yeah. They're they're like the intermediaries between, like the gods and humans. You know, like they're the ones that would escort the warriors, the human warriors, into the halls of of the gods. Hmm. So intermediary is what I would go with, I think, rather than demigod. Although I think you could say either one and not be horribly mistaken. But they're definitely, they definitely have some kind of respect for humans that the gods obviously don't. Because they were like, the whole thing starts with them just being like, yeah, fuck it. We'll just just, like destroy everything. Fuck it. Literally like a a unanimous decision. And then the Valkyrie steps in and she's like, um, excuse me. <laughs> the fuck you are. We're supposed to do this first. And if you're too chicken shit to fight humans, then, um, <laughs> what does that say about you? Yeah. And basically embarrasses, um, Zeus so much that he's just like, yeah, no, we're going to do a fucking tournament. Yeah. Gods versus humans. Pick your, pick your, pick your worst or your best or your best worst or your worst best. Yeah, it's uh I feel like it's an accomplishment in the fighting and the design of the fights that they've managed to come up with. I mean, like on paper you're like there's there's a god versus a human of any kind. It's like how is this even going to be possible? But they've managed to make them very entertaining. Extremely. I've been very entertained by all the fights. Yeah. And it's just it's, <clears throat> I think it's really well done. It incorporates a lot of stuff from a lot of different cultures. And I think it's just, I'm very much looking forward to season two. I can't remember if this is a uh, based off of a manga or if it's based off of a Hanwa. Like, I don't know if it's from (laughs) Japan or uh, South Korea. I can't remember which one, but either way. Yeah. It's really, uh, the art style is very interesting also because certain characters are drawn in, in certain what I would consider to be in certain aesthetics that fit different manga or anime, like some of the Valkyrie, like one of the, the, the main Valkyrie is drawn in a very almost like attack on Titan style. And then her like sister, like the, the one that's always yeah, the panicking. One. Yeah. She's drawn in a much more kind of like cutesy, like almost my hero academia kind of way. Yeah, I guess. So I, I wouldn't. Know. I wouldn't call my hero like cutesy, but well, like with some of the extreme, like you know, chibi like moments, whereas the the main, I get, the main I Valkyrie get what you're doesn't saying. have like any of those moments at all. Yeah, but she does have some great facial expressions. She does. A lot of them are very pissed. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this has been like a really that was a really cool watch, a very quick watch. It's on Netflix. It's only like twelve episodes, tops. Yeah. Yeah. So each each fight, there's like three main fights in the first season. So, you know, about four episodes a piece. <clears throat> yep. And it doesn't waste a lot of time getting to it either. So No, it does not waste a lot of time getting to it, which is nice. And like I said, there's all these side characters like Aphrodite and Loki and like Odin and a bunch of other gods sitting in the arena that I probably just didn't spot at the time for one reason or another. But um, yeah, there's... A lot of JoJo overlap with the voice actors. Of course. <laughs> of course. And um, yeah, it's just like, it's just a fun kind of, if you don't know anything about mythology, you can actually learn a couple of things. 
Um, obviously, some of it is very much exaggerated and or uh, bent to fit the narrative of this fighting anime, but I don't feel like it's done, like, obnoxiously. I don't feel like they took, like, the prose Eda and went like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> and, like, threw it out the window. I feel like they took it and, like, made it work for the for the um, thing. The <laughs> narrative. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's time to yeah wrap it up. Yeah, I think we might be good on this one. Okay, it's, it's okay. All right. Well, um, that was July's anime lineup, and to no one's surprise, we spent the bulk of it talking about Vento Arreo. But <laughs> it's okay. We got we got a lot of uh, like we said, we're watching the new Food Wars season. Um, and well, we're, we're watching the watching... latest Food Wars season, and we just <laughs> cats. We just started Fruits Basket mm-hmm. because I've seen so many moots on Twitter talk about it, and I've been interested in a couple months of starting it. It's just been a matter of like getting there, and um, we'll have probably some more Naruto to talk about on next episode. Oh, my God. And, um, yeah, we'll see what else happens. Get down. Are you fucking kidding me right now? Fucking chonker. He probably wants his food. Cat. He probably oh wants his food. Just bump the damn microphone. Get yes, out of here. I can hear it. <sighs> All right. <laughs> Maybe this is. All right, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Good night.